Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church. Welcome, welcome back all of our regulars this morning and those who may be with us that are new attenders, newcomers, or perhaps even your first week with us. We welcome you. And thank you for being here as we launch a brand new series this morning. My, my wife and I actually have recently found a restaurant. Uh, she actually found it about a year ago, and we've been back several times since. It's in Cincinnati, and it's a restaurant called Seasons 52. How many of you have ever been to a Seasons 52? Let me see your hands. Anyone? Uh, highly recommended if you've not been there. Great restaurant. Um, what they do is they, they have a seasonal menu that focuses on really health-conscious food from local farmers. And so, as the very name of the restaurant would suggest, their menu is like the seasons. It's always changing. In fact, 52 times a year, their menu changes. Well, this morning, we're beginning a series entitled Seasons. And we're not going to go for 52 weeks. We're going to go for four. But uh, before we jump into the series, Seasons, I want to conduct a straw poll with our congregation this morning. Now, I'm not a betting man, but I would bet that every person in this auditorium this morning falls into one of four categories. So let's test my assumption this morning. You're going to all have to be engaged in this straw poll, and you're going to have to be engaged by an applause. Are you ready? So get your hands free, and let's find out what category everyone in this auditorium fits into this morning. By applause, let me hear you if your favorite season is fall. By applause, let me hear you if your favorite season is winter. You are messed up. (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) Let me hear you if your favorite season is spring. And how many by applause your favorite season is summer? Ah, all of our educators and all of our kids are going wild right now, right? My wife's a teacher, um, and so summertime is like the epitome of just joy for her. Like as soon as summer hits and school lets out, there's like nothing better than that. So every educator and every child here, summer is your high uh, is your high season. Well, for me, summer's always been a really tough time for me. Um, I, I don't really know what it is, and I know this may sound a little odd to some of you, but I've always struggled to find incredible pleasure in summer. I think just everything in life kind of seems out of rhythm. Everything seems to slow down. People slow down. People drive slower. It just, everything seems to get slower and out of rhythm. So while everybody else is enjoying the lazy days of summer, I'm just feeling plain lazy. And I'm just feeling like everything's a little out of sync. So it's taken me time in my life to learn to find pleasure in the season that just began this last Thursday. By the way, it is the longest day of daylight that we have on the calendar. So it's all downhill from here, okay? Every day gets shorter from here. Well, I think that the seasons teach us a lot about life and about how God interacts with us in life. In fact, I would suggest to you that according to the Bible, life is a seasonal activity. 
That's what Solomon actually wrote and said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything. A season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Some people really need that this morning, that word. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Right, spouses? A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. As I journey back mentally over my life, here's what I've discovered. Most of my life has been lived in some sort of transition. Now, I know that may not be what you want to hear this morning, but I think it's a reality of life. That, that most of our lives are lived at some level, to some degree, and in some stage of transition. In fact, our life begins and our life ends in major transitions. Think about it, from conception to birth, And then the transition from this life to the next. Every one of us in this auditorium will go through those two major transitions in life. There's no exceptions. And in between those transitions, I would suspect there are at least nearly a dozen other major transitions that we will all walk through in our life at some point. There is the transition from childhood to adolescence to adulthood. Or as some would suggest, from innocence to stupidity to responsibility, right? There are the seasons we go through in our schooling, and there are many of them, and for most of us, those are a distant memory. There is the transition from college to a career, and for some people, back to college again, and a second or even a third career. For all of us, we'll probably go through some type of midlife crisis, and if there is a midlife crisis, then I would suggest there probably is also a quarter-life crisis crisis that we go through. And here are some of the questions we ask at the quarter-life crisis in our life. We ask questions like this, who should I marry? What should be my career choice? Should I stay here or move there? What am I going to do with my life? And when you hit your midlife crisis, you're asking the exact same questions, only you're rephrasing them. You're saying things like this, did I marry the right person? Did I choose the right career path? Should I have moved here or stayed there? And what have I really accomplished in my life? You see, life is filled with all sorts of transitions. We go from a transition from being a son or daughter to becoming a parent of a son or daughter. And then one I recently went through from a parent to a grandparent. Let me tell you, if you've not gone through that transition yet, it is worth everything. It's worth gold. There's nothing in the world like it. 
And I don't think it's those transitions that we are expecting, the ones that we are planning for, that are the difficult ones. I think the real difficult ones are the ones that are unplanned, the ones that are unexpected, the ones that you simply cannot prepare yourself for. Your house burns down. A spouse walks out of your life. You lose your job. A loved one dies and passes away. Whenever that occurs, you find yourself suddenly thrust into a season of transition. And the question this morning is, when we find ourselves in transition, what is it that we should be doing? And what is it, more importantly, that God is trying to teach us about ourselves and about Him? This morning, there are several suggestions that I want to offer you today. These are things that I have learned in my own life that have come from my own seasons of transition that I hope can provide you some encouragement this morning. And then as we wrap up today, I want to provide you some tools that I think can really help us to discover God and to find a path forward and a way forward when we find ourselves in the midst of a season of transition. The first thing I've discovered is this, that Transitions are typically marked with uncertainty. Transition brings uncertainty, and uncertainty breeds anxiety, doesn't it? I find myself in seasons of transition doing a lot of second-guessing. I second-guess myself. I sometimes second-guess others. And I even can second-guess God in moments of transition. In 1995... I was serving at a church in the northwest part of uh, Cleveland. Been there for five years, an associate pastor, happy in my role, not making any plans necessarily to make a change. And then I was approached about the possibility of planting a church on the northwest part of Columbus, Ohio. There was funds being raised for this church plant. There was going to be a core group that was going to be a part of this church plant. My wife and I prayed about it. And we sensed that God was in that transition. We resigned our position, and we began to make plans to make a change and a transition down to Columbus to put down some roots before we would plant this church. Well, just a few months later, um, outside of our control, this church plant concept was actually laid aside, and everything that we thought we were planning for, we were preparing for, was thrown into uncertainty. We had already resigned our position. They were already in the middle of their search, and we felt comfortable that we had heard from God. But I can only tell you this, that we knew that in that season, there was all sorts of uncertainty that was breeding all sorts of anxiety. What's God up to? Where is God going to land us? What is it that God has for our future? I think the transition is that way, isn't it? It creates a sense of uncertainty. I think the second thing about transition I've learned is this, that transition is designed to move us from the familiar to the unfamiliar. Now let's face it. We are all creatures of habit here today. And we are also creatures of comfort. Given the choice, We will always opt for the familiar over the unfamiliar, the predictable over the unpredictable, won't we? When I hit my thermostat, 
I want to have dependence and confidence that it's going to do what I predict it will do. So a couple of years ago, a friend of, of mine installed a digital thermostat in my, in my home. And all was well and good until the seasons began to change, the temperatures began to drop, and I changed it from cooling to heating. And I woke up freezing the next morning, and I knew something wasn't right. And uh, I called a friend of mine who's actually a neighbor, who is a retired Vectern service technician. And he troubleshot it with me, and we actually figured out that there was two wires that were inadvertently switched in the thermostat. And it changes everything, doesn't it? Well, I think all of us like the predictability of life. We, we like the familiarity of life. We like to know what's coming next in our life. So there's this swarm of people following Jesus. And Jesus one day stops in the road in Luke chapter 9, and here's what Jesus says. As they were walking along the road, a man said, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Personally, I like knowing where I'm going to be sleeping every night. I like knowing that I will have a pillow under my head. So two weeks ago, I took a road trip with my son who's doing his medical residency. We drove for four days. And he kept saying to me as we were planning the trip, he kept saying, oh, we'll just drive as far as we can, then we'll find a hotel along the way. And I thought, no way am I doing that. I am not going to sleep in one of those hotels, okay? So I made reservations because I wanted to know, and I wanted to map out the trip because I like to know where I'm going to lay my head at night. Now, here's what Jesus is suggesting in this verse. He is suggesting that following him means that we've got to get really comfortable with the unfamiliar. It means we've got to get really comfortable with uncertainty and with the unfamiliar. We have to be willing to trust him when we don't see what's coming next in our life. That was what happened with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, the very first verse, we're introduced to this guy. It says, then the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I'm not personally a big fan of blind trust. I don't know how many of you are. For instance, I don't like it when somebody says, close your eyes and open your mouth, okay? Because I know what they're wanting me to do. They're wanting me to try something. I, for one, like to know what I'm putting in my mouth. And I like to know who's putting it there. And I generally like it when I'm putting it there, right? Because I like to know what it is I'm going to be eating. Sometimes people will say this to me. They'll say, hey, promise me this or that, and then I want to share something with you. Ooh. Ooh. Promise you won't do this or that. Promise you won't laugh. Promise you won't share it. Promise you won't make any faith. Promise this. And honestly, I have a tough time making a promise until I know what's being asked of me. And I think what God is saying here is God is saying to Abraham, I want you to trust me, not in blind trust, but I want you to trust my character. 
I want you to know that I love you, that I have the best in mind for you. And I think if we could have crawled into Abraham's mind and looked at his thoughts, I think what we would hear rumbling around upstairs is this. Hey, hey God, how about this? How about you tell me the place you want me to go and then I'll follow you? God, how about we do some clues? Give me a couple of clues here. Figure it out. And we don't get insight into what's going on in his thoughts. What we do, however, get is insight into his response. The author of Hebrews chapter 11 gives us this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. Now notice these words. Even though he did not know where he was going. That's the kind of faith that it takes in our seasons of transition. That's the kind of faith that God asks us to have when we are uncertain and we're going to an unfamiliar place. Because I think there's a third thing about transition God wants to teach us. And I think the third thing that seasons of transition teach us are this. Transitions are often God's way to strategically position us. They are God's way to strategically position us. We don't know it. We don't necessarily see it. But God's up to something. God's doing something. I believe that transitions are about God getting us to the right place and at the right time. I think there's no doubt as I look back on that experience, I can tell you, connecting the dots going backward, I would not be standing here at Grace Crossing Church today had I planted that church in Northwest Columbus. I'm confident that the dots connected to bring me to the place and to the time that God wanted. And when you go to Scripture, what you discover is this. God is always strategically positioning us. For Israel, it was a geographic transition. God took 40 years to get them from bondage and slavery in Egypt to the promised land to become God's chosen people. For Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, it was a spiritual transition. God takes three years to actually transition him from being a persecutor of the church to being a church planter. And for Jesus, it's an occupational transition. God uses 40 days in the wilderness to transition him from being the son of a carpenter who builds things to being a person who's now building God's kingdom as God's son. Those transitions were strategic. They are designed to move an individual to a place they could never get to any other way. Now the Gospel of Luke gives us a really insightful a story about this that actually illustrates this strategic positioning that God often does in our lives. It begins with just one verse. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verse number 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they set out. Now, there was nothing particularly wrong with the side of the lake they were on. From a purely human perspective, one side of the lake was just as good 
as the other side of the lake. You can do this later, but I would urge you to read the narrative and what happens next. Because it was on the other side of the lake that there is a spiritually and emotionally disturbed man who needs to be freed by Christ. It's on the other side of the lake where there is a man whose 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter, is dying at home and is in need of Jesus Christ to walk into his home and heal his daughter. It's on the other side of the lake where there is a woman who's been bleeding internally for 12 years. And she's been looking and reaching out to all kinds of medical professionals, trying to find help and hope. And it's Jesus walking through the crowd on the way to this guy's home where his daughter's dying that she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. See, there's nothing wrong with the other side of the lake, but that's not where the disciples needed to be. Jesus needed to reposition them and he needed to move them out of their comfort zone so that they could actually begin to be positioned and to be purposeful for God's kingdom. Truth be told, all of us are moving in and out of three zones in our lives all the time. We are moving in and out of the comfort zone here. And way out here, there's what I'll call the panic zone. That's where we start to feel afraid. We start to get consumed by our own emotions. We let our emotions control us. But in between the safe zone, the comfort zone, and the panic zone is the growth zone. And it is the growth zone where God actually causes us to trust him the most. What happens when we get out to the panic zone? We retreat to the safe zone. We go to the comfort zone. And yet God is constantly moving our lives to the edge of the growth zone where we can feel this sense of panic because God says, I want you to learn to trust me. By the way, Here's how they get to the other side of the lake. Verse number 23 of Luke's gospel, chapter 8. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. (laughs) This story's remarkable to me. But soon a fierce storm comes up on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. Have you ever felt like Jesus is asleep at the wheel? Where is God? I don't think we feel that any more than we feel it when we're in moments and seasons of transition. And I think it's interesting that it takes going through the storm to get them through the transition. I think every season of transition also is marked with storms. There are all kinds of storms we feel internally Sometimes there are storms that are raging externally, that are, that are actually drawing us away from looking at God to looking at the circumstances of our life. And God keeps saying, I'm here, I'm with you. You may not hear me, you may not know me, you may not see me, but I'm here. Which brings us to one final thing that I want to encourage us with this morning. I think transitions provide us the opportunity to practice humble dependence on God. I think transitions are all about giving us the opportunity to practice our dependence on God, our relying on Him more than depending 
on ourselves. Now, a popular eyewear today that's become very popular the last number of years, maybe some of you have them with you this morning, they're called transition lenses. My grandson, my four-year-old grandson, wears a pair of transition lenses. I said to him the other week, I took him for ice cream. And on the way to ice cream, I said to him, Shane, in the back seat there, at the car seat, there is a pair of sunglasses. It was bright. I was driving Kelly's convertible, and we had the top down. And I said, why don't you put the sunglasses on? He goes, Papa, I don't need the sunglasses. My glasses change to sunglasses. And he's right. Look back, and they're dark. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. As we wrap this up, I want to ask you to take a pair of transition lenses. I think it is God's Word that provides us the transition lenses we need when we're going through times and seasons of transition. I think we need to see things differently. We need to see things from God's perspective. And I'm going to ask you this morning that in a season of transition in your life, whether you find yourself there today I can promise you, you will find yourself there someday. I want to give you three things that I think we can all look for in our seasons of transition. Number one, I want to encourage you to look for the fingerprints of God. Look for the fingerprints of God. Sometimes, God is hard to detect. Sometimes we can't see God. We can't hear God. Sometimes we can't even sense God. And it's in those moments that I think our level and degree of trust in God is accentuated and is elevated like never before. You don't have to tell someone in a season of transition to pray. They can't pray enough because they're learning that it is only God that can come through in that season of transition for them. And I think these fingerprints are often hard to detect. I like to also think of it as breadcrumbs. That sometimes we have just a little trace that God has been there. That God has been with us. That God is in that moment. There is a scripture that Jesus speaks in John's Gospel chapter 20. Verse number 29, he says it actually to Thomas. Then he said, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That word believe, you can take it out of there and you can interchange it for the word trust and you'll do no damage to the text. That's exactly what it means. Here's what Jesus is saying. You trust because you've seen. Blessed are those who trust when they have not seen. Nothing stretches our trust and our faith in God like seasons of transition do. A number of years ago, Kelly and I actually were going through a transition in our life, and there was a song. It was released and recorded by an individual by the name of Babby Mason. And the song was simply entitled, Trust His Heart. The lyrics of the chorus of that song provide every one of us that are going through seasons of transition some really good advice. And here was the chorus of the song. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. There are times we cannot trace God's hand, but what we can always do is trust God's heart. 
Here's another way to say that. In seasons of transition, though we may not be able to see God, God can still be trusted. Even when he's hard to detect. So I think, first of all, put on the lenses and look for the fingerprints. Secondly, I would encourage you to look for the footprints of God. Not just the fingerprints, but the footprints. Now, probably every one of us in this auditorium have heard the poem, Footprints in the Sand. If you haven't, I'm not sure where you're living because almost everyone at some point has heard Footprints in the Sand. I have a copy of it here this morning, and let me just read the last part of it. The essence of the poem is that I'm walking through the sand, I see two footprints, but in some of my loneliest days, my saddest days, my hardest days, there's only one set of footprints. And here's how it ends. He whispered, my precious child, I love you. We'll never leave you, never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. I love that so much. I think it's so powerful. The only problem is it's not really theologically sound. And here's what I mean by that. I think if you look at Scripture, what you discover is this. God doesn't pick us up. God walks with us. He walks alongside of us. God comes as our advocate and our paraclete. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am what? With you. Not carrying you. I'm with you. I think there will always be a set of God's footprints that God wants us to look for to make sure that we are journeying with him through those seasons of transition. Because let me tell you, when the anxiety gets ramped up, when the uncertainty gets ramped up, here's what ends up happening. We tend to get so consumed and caught up in our own world that we forget about God in our world. I heard this some time ago and I love it. We do not have to fear tomorrow because God has already been there. And it's true. God walks before us God actually guides the way, and God wants us to follow him. So I'm going to ask us to look for his fingerprints. I'm going to ask you to look for his footprints. And finally, I'm going to ask you to look for a blueprint from God. And here's what I mean by that. God always has a plan for your life, even when your plans fail. Even when your plans do not materialize and do not become what you thought they would, your life has not gone the way you thought it should or would. And you wonder, what is God up to? Well, I want you to know that even when our plans fail, God has a higher plan and a higher purpose that he wants us to look to. And that's actually what Isaiah chapter 55 says. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We get an illustration for this in the, in the book of Acts. Paul the Apostle is traveling as a missionary planting churches. And in Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that Paul knew where he was to go. He had a blueprint for his life. He knew his next steps. But something happens along the way that's pretty remarkable. Acts 16, verses 6 and 7. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept 
by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter. You talk about frustration. You talk about disillusionment. Paul actually reaches that night, and in desperation and frustration, he goes to bed wondering, like, what's God up to? I thought for sure God wanted me to go to the Galatian regions. I thought for sure God wanted me to enter Bithynia. But every time I tried to make plans, something prevented it. There was this restraint that kept me. It was, it was God in the way. But I don't understand why. And then God says, here's the blueprint. Here's what it says in verses 9 and 10. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God had a blueprint even when their blueprint fell apart. God had a plan even when their plan failed. I've been reading through the summer, the book of Proverbs. If you are here this morning and you find your spiritual life stalled, you find yourself stuck in your quiet time, you're wondering how to jumpstart time with God, I would urge you, go to the book of Proverbs. If you read one proverb a day, you'll get through it in one month. And you can actually repeat that again and again and again. There is so much wisdom packed in Proverbs. And let me give you just three pieces of wisdom as we close. It's found in the 16th chapter. It has everything to do with seasons of transition, with looking for God's fingerprints, looking for God's footprints, looking for God's blueprint. 16th chapter, verse 1. We can make our own plans, but make no mistake about it. The Lord gives the right answer. Verse number 3. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Verse 9, we can make our own plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I don't know about you, but that takes the pressure off me. All of a sudden, I'm no longer feeling this sense of, I've got to make it happen. I've got to do something. I've got to produce something. I've got to be good enough. I've got to get it right every time. All God says is cooperate. Trust me. Turn it over to me. And when you do, I promise you that your plans will succeed because I will be the one who will order your steps. And so we pray for everyone this morning. If you find yourself in a season of transition today, know that the Lord has not forgotten you, that God is with you, and that God is for you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.